turn to Romans 10. Romans 10, as, as Clay said, in a galaxy far, far away, we began Romans 1 a long time ago. The good news is, in my Bible, I can see Romans 12, so we're getting closer. We're getting close to what everybody says is the good stuff, the application, whatever. So, um, Romans 10, 14, and listen, you have probably heard this passage preached over and over again at missions conferences. You have, anytime there's an evangelistic message, a lot of times they will run to Romans 10, 14. Go and share, see how important you are. See how indispensable you are. See how necessary you are. Listen, I'm not saying that might not be part of the application. What I am saying is, although that may make for good application, it makes for bad interpretation. Okay? This this passage is not primarily about you. That's what I want us to see. When we come to the Bible and we read the Bible... Let's be honest, who's the first person that you think about when you're reading the Bible? Say it, self. That's that's when we read the Bible, that's the first person we think about. And, And that's not always, rarely is that a good idea. We love to think about self first. And what I'm saying is when we do this, we miss the context. When you come to even this passage that way, you miss who this passage is really heralding what this passage is primarily heralding. Again, remember the context all the way back in Romans 9. Much of Israel is separated from Christ. Okay? This is God's chosen people. And much of them are separated from Christ. The issue is still the same as what Paul said in Romans 9, 9, 14. Is there, is there any injustice with God? Has God been unfaithful? Has God done something wrong here. Paul is still answering that question and he's proving that that answer is unequivocally no. Paul is addressing here the unbelief of Israel and why their unbelief does not undermine the faithfulness of God. You see it on your handout. What we see here in Romans 10 is meant to show once more that God is not to blame, that God is faithful and that the reason, the word there is reason, why most of Israel is not truly Israel, is because of faith. They don't believe. And that, again, he'll make that very clear in verses 16 and 21 today. God, Listen, God's faithfulness is what is at stake. God's faithfulness is what Paul is proving. Okay, one, again, one of the arguments that could be made, you say, well, why is Paul continuing to do this? One of the arguments that could be made for Israel's unbelief, is that God has not done what is necessary to make that possible. Again, we are very good, let's be honest, we are very good at passing the blame. We're very good at, at making it other people's fault. Well, you know, here's why Israel doesn't believe, is because God hasn't faithfully given the message. Nobody told them. And again, this theme has been woven throughout these chapters. The faithfulness of God in relation to the unbelief of Israel. And and this is what Paul is continuing to put forth here in Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. Paul is justifying God in his righteousness and showing that God has done everything necessary for people to come to salvation. But people have failed to respond with faith. Again, context is important. 
This passage is primarily about the awesomeness, the greatness, the faithfulness of God. You and I play a role in that, but it is primarily pointing back to God. Please hear me. That, that's how this passage is not most of the time presented. Very man-centered. When this passage is utterly God-centered, there is an application for man, to be sure. And you might say, well, Chris, what does it matter? You end up in the same destination. How you get there matters. Who you worship and praise and herald in the process of getting there matters. If we don't see our right role, if you don't see even our if we just jump to this passage, we miss even the import of our own salvation and God saving you. This is a big deal. Context is always important. And you see there on your handout, main point, God has sufficiently provided everything necessary for someone to be saved from the wrath of God, do their sin through his gospel. And what is left is how people will respond. What's left is our response to the gospel. Paul is going to make it very clear that God has done everything on his part to make your faith possible. It's not his, pro- it's not his lack of faithfulness Your unbelief is not his lack of faithfulness. He has sufficiently provided everything. You go to 1 John. This is, again, I'm just thinking about this right. Forgive me, but it's not in the notes. But 1 John 2.1. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the what? Whole world. God has done everything necessary. The payment's been made. And beyond that, the preachers have been sent. That's what Paul is saying. Israel's unbelief, they're the culpable party, not God. God has been more than faithful. And you see that in this passage, beginning in verse 14 and 15. You see point number one, God has mercifully, Paul is saying, God has mercifully and faithfully made sure the good news of the gospel has been preached. Okay, when he says, how then will they call on him and have that not believed? How will they not believe? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. What we see here, beginning in verse 14, are four rhetorical questions that form a connected chain. These are the things that must take place. They must happen If someone is going to be saved. And Paul's point is that God has made sure all of those elements have happened. That's the point here. They're rhetorical questions. All these things have happened. And Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7. Again, he he reaches back into the Old Testament to show, again, God has not done anything wrong here. He is vindicating God of any wrongdoing. Listen to Isaiah 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Again, the issue here is is that most Jews are separated from Christ. They have not received the gospel. And listen, Even in Isaiah's day, what Paul is showing is that the Jews resisted the gospel. 
And if it happened in Isaiah's day, then it's not surprising, it shouldn't be surprising that it's happening in Paul's day. And Paul's point is here that the issue is not with God. The issue is not with the gospel. God remains faithful. The issue is with the hearers. The issue is is how it's received. And you see on your handout, the Bible itself is a history of evidence. Evidence of the fact that God has faithfully done his part in sending preachers. I mean, the entire Old Testament is a picture of this. God faithfully sent person after person after person to his creation, they were called prophets, to call God's people to repentance. And what did, what did they do with those prophets? They rejected them and killed them. That's how they received God's, God's invitation. And even in the New Testament, apostle after apostle after apostle went after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, faithfully declaring the good news of the gospel to to all peoples. And and listen, even Jesus, John 1 says, the perfect representative. Hebrews says he's the fulfillment in the past. Hebrews 1 said God spoke through many prophets in many portions in many ways, but today he has spoken through Christ. And how did God's creation receive Christ? They killed him. From there, the apostles go out. Acts 2. How did the world receive the prophets? I mean, the, the, the apostles. By and large, they killed them. History shows people going out through all times. God sending his people out to call men and women, God's creation, to repentance. To show them the way that they could be reconciled back to their created intent to be restored, to be a, a, that new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says. And by and large, for the most part, they were rejected. And again, even here, we immediately run to thinking about us here. Oh, our feet are so beautiful. Our feet are so beautiful. Here's Paul's point. God's feet are beautiful. God is the one who sins. It's not about us. Again, you see it on your handout. The emphasis here is on God being the faithful sender of those who have proclaimed the gospel throughout history. And Paul's point is that God has faithfully sent people with the good news, not only to Israel, but to all people. The conditions have been met, again, to hold Israel and the rest of the world accountable for their unbelief. You cannot blame anyone but yourself if you do not believe in Christ. Again, Christ's work is finished. God has communicated this to the world. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the same gospel Paul is saying. It's the same gospel in the Old Testament, same gospel in the New Testament, same gospel throughout Romans, that the righteousness of God only comes through faith in Christ, not through doing. Confessing and trusting Christ's work rather than your own. That's what we saw throughout 9 and 10 of Romans. And you see it on your handout. It's reliance, reliance upon the work and person of Christ that results in salvation. And God has made sure that this is clearly communicated. Again, this is what it means to call upon the Lord. 
And, and this is something that we do as believers over and over and over throughout our lives. It's not just some one-time calling out. It is a life that is built on reliance upon the Lord for everything. You see this in Psalm, Psalm 18.3. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Again, you see salvation. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalm 91.15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Psalm 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This is a, a life that is utterly built on relying upon God for everything. Just like my kids, your kids, they rely on you for everything. It's not, oh, you birthed me, thanks, I'll be seeing you. It don't work. Every day, it's relationally. Reliance, day by day, the sufficiency of Christ in and through all things. Living every moment of your life dependent and built upon who you are in Christ. That you're a child of God. The blessing of having Jesus as Lord. The blessing of having God as your Father. Again, built on the Word. And, and again, the man does not live, Jesus said in Matthew 4, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's an intimacy. It's John 15. It's the biting. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. You know what he says? For apart from me, you can do nothing. A, bran a branch isn't just birthed. And then, hey, appreciate it, vine. I'm gonna I'll take it from here. No, the, the point is you stay intimately tied in with the vine branch. If you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to grow, if you're going to thrive, there's abiding there. There's communion there. It's relying. Again, this is not praying a prayer and then living the rest of your life disconnected from God. And, and the preaching of the word calls this and, and ushers this in and creates a sense of a need and a, and a sense of accessibility to God through the gospel. The call to repent, to turn away from sin, to cry out to God. And God has made that abundantly clear. God has faithfully and mercifully made sure throughout history there were preachers to call upon His creation to repent of their sin. And here it is. All who call upon the name of the Lord, here's the answer, will be saved. God has faithfully made sure, Paul is saying in verses 15 and 14 and 15, God has faithfully made sure there are preachers. Look at 17 and 18. Skip 16 because 16 and 21 go together. That's the result. So look at 17 and 18. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Again, you can, you can I, I love to be sarcastic sometimes at the wrong times, but you can almost, Paul, since Paul saw, oh, surely they've heard. Uh, yeah, they have. Indeed, they have, he says. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Again, Paul picks up the same argument. 16 is kind of a, uh, uh, it, he'll get back to that in verse 21. But Paul picks up this argument in 17 and 18. God has, and here's his argument. God has done everything necessary for someone to be reconciled to himself through the blood of Jesus. Amen. God has done everything needed. Even number two on your handout, I almost forgot to get the fill in. God has mercifully and faithfully not only made sure there were preachers, 
but that those preachers were heard. That's Paul's point here. There weren't just preachers. He made sure there were preachers and that their message was heard. Again, and you see it on your handout. In the context, in this text, Paul connects, the word there is connects, faith with hearing of the word. Faith comes from the hearing of the word. The hearing of the word awakens us and quickens us and our, our spirit to respond to Christ. That's why I'm always nervous. I get leery when someone supposedly shares the gospel and they never quote scripture. There's a problem there. Faith doesn't come through me being slick. Faith doesn't come through me being eloquent. Faith doesn't come through me having to say the right things. Faith comes by hearing the word. It's the word of God that quickens, not my eloquence. That's exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 3. I didn't come to you with superiority of speech. I didn't come to you with cleverness. I didn't come with any of that stuff that your culture is renowned for. I came to you knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. When we gather here, what you need to hear, what you ought to demand of me, is to hear the word. Not some pep talk, not some speech, not just, a, not just an encouraging word. You need the word. And all throughout your life, believer. Why? Because our tendency is to stray. Our tendency is to struggle. Our tendency is to, is to, to be drawn away. You need the word. Again, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word. And Paul makes this clear again in 18. Look at verse 18. Again, God has met the requirement. God has sent preachers all over the world. Again, Paul in 18, if, if, if we were writing this, he would say, has God not made sure this would happen? Absolutely he has. He's made sure it happened. And what Paul does here is he quotes all the way back to Psalms. Again, he quotes the Old Testament. If You can write down Psalm 18, verse 5. Psalm 18.5, um, no, not Psalm 18.5, I meant 19.4, sorry. Psalm 19.4, the line has gone out through all the earth, their utterances to the end of the world, in them he has placed a tent for the sun. He goes on there in Psalm 19 to talk about the works and the word of God that they've, that they've gone out all over creation. God's testimony, what we saw in Romans 1, that all of creation testifies to who God is, that what may be known about God would be evident outside of them. But then Paul says it's also evident inside of them. Why? Because God has made it known. God is the one who is faithfully and God is the one who is mercifully throughout the history of his creation sent preachers into the world and made the gospel heard. I mean, you think through the history of, of God's creation. I mean, just to look at a few. The likes of William Carey in India, Adoniram Judson in India, David Livingston in Africa, George Mueller in orphanages, orphanages Hudson Taylor in China, Amy Carmichael in India, Jim Elliott to the in Indians, Lottie Moon to China. The list goes on and on and on and on. Right? The issue is not that people haven't heard. The issue is people refuse to repent. They refuse to acknowledge that they can't save themselves and trust Christ. The issue is that there's a deceiver of the brethren who deceives, who 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, who blinds the hearts and the minds of the unbelieving. What are they blinding them to? They're blinding them to the reality of Jesus Christ, to the truthfulness of the gospel. 
Again, the issue of unbelief and not experiencing the blessings of salvation is due to your unbelief. It is not due to the unfaithfulness of God. That's what Paul is making sure that you understand. God has made sure not only that preachers went out, but that the, but that the gospel was heard. Look at, verse 9, look at verses 19 and 20. Not only did God, has God faithfully sent preachers, not only has their message faithfully been heard, but God has made faithfully and mercifully made sure that their message was understood. Right? It's one thing to hear something. It's another to understand it. You know, Karen sometimes will say to me, did you hear me? I heard you. I just wasn't really listening. Distracted. Right? It's one thing to hear something, but it's another thing to understand what you hear. And even here, unbelief was not due to a lack of opportunity as the message has gone out. But the in unbelief is also not due to an understandability of the message. Right? And Paul in verses 19 and 20, look. But I say, surely Israel did not know. Did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, it will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I, found, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. You see it on your handout. Israel cannot say that the gospel is not comprehensible. Right? The Gentiles got it. Some of Israel got it. Again, clearly the revelation is understandable. The issue is not with God. Right? I mean, again, this connects to what we saw even back to 926 and God bringing in people who are not his people. This is, this is a sovereign God and the issue doing what he says he would do. The issue is not with the comprehensibility of the message. Your unbelief, your neighbor's unbelief is not due to God's unfaithfulness. God, has, God said that would happen. The fact that the Gentiles are believing in the gospel and inheriting the promises... Moses predicted that in Deuteronomy, you write it down, 32, 21. Moses predicted that. It was also predicted in Hosea. This alone, with Paul is quoting these things to make, you, to make Israel mindful that they would understand that, again, to the truthfulness of the gospel that they're rejecting. That their accountability is even greater because Gentiles are being invited into the people of God. They're getting it. And this is all throughout. Not only in Deuteronomy, you can look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. Do you see the faithfulness of God? Even in his own people's rejection, God remained faithful. And again, we saw that in Romans 9, 30 and 32. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, as if it were though by, as though it were by works. Again, the point is, who did all this? God did this. God is the doer. God is the one who remains faithful. God is the one who stays. God is the one who remains merciful. The issue of unbelief doesn't make God less faithful. 
It doesn't mean that God did something or didn't do something that he should have. God has made himself known. Creation testifies. Our own conscience testifies. We saw this in Romans 1. What? And again, in Romans 1, what was the answer? So that they are without a what? Excuse. No excuse. God has done this. He sent out preachers. He's made sure the message was understood. He made sure the message was, was heard. And again, in, now, now you can see verses 16 and 21. Again, this is the main point of the text. All that is left is that God's creation respond to God in the good news of the gospel through faith. What is left? Your, your response is left. Faith. Look at 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Look at verse 21. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And again, he, he's specifically talking about the Jews, but applicationally to, to, to all creation. They did not respond in faith. Why are they separated from God? They did not respond with faith. Period. The invitation has been made. God has made sure that he has faithfully sent preachers. He has faithfully made sure his message was heard. He has faithfully made sure his message was understood. It's our response. And you see it on your handout. God has constantly offered grace through the gospel. And his creation has stubbornly rejected that grace. Again, I'm not at all saying that God is not sovereign over this. The scriptures make that very clear. But in chapter 10, Paul is making sure the other side of the coin is, is readily understood that man is responsible. Man is responsible. And again, Isaiah quotes, I, I mean, Paul quotes here, again, going back to Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 53, you can write it down, Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, Isaiah writes. Again, this is in the context of the suffering servant. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Again, what Paul is saying is this. Even in, even in Isaiah's day, very few were believing the proclamation of the gospel. And, and his point is, listen, very few Jews are believing, but that's always been the case. People have always been rejecting the gospel. And it doesn't mean that God is less faithful. Uh, similarly, that's in, in verse 21. Isaiah, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah 65 too, where, where Isaiah says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God has faithfully, mercifully offered the gospel. And God's creation has rejected it. Inviting, wooing, you see this picture of God calling, inviting, and wooing sinners to repent through the prophets and through the apostles. But the message was not heeded. It was ignored. And again, the implications of this stretch all the way back to 914. You see them in your handout. Primarily, this is about God. God has faithfully and mercifully revealed himself to a people who did not seek or ask or even deserve. God has revealed himself. 
He has made it known. Secondly, God has continually held out his hands with the offer of the gospel and people have refused to receive it by faith. God is merciful. God is just. God is not to blame for unbelief. He has done everything necessary for faith to exist. He has done everything necessary for reconciliation to take place. Again, why? So that Romans 3.26 would stand, that God would be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. God is just, and He can rightly justify anyone who has faith in Christ because of the gospel. You see it in your handout. Unbelief is why they're cut off. Again, no excuse. The separation is on them. Again, we saw this in Romans 1.18. No excuse. And this stretches all the way back to the Old Testament. God has made His purposes, God has made His plans explicitly clear in the Old Testament. Six quotations of the Old Testament here in these seven verses. And then in the New Testament, the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. The issue is with creation, not the creator. And again, that's the flip side of Romans 9, where we saw God's sovereignty. This is man's responsibility to respond. You cannot blame God. And again... God is the potter, you're the clay. You're not ultimately sovereign over your own life, but God desires all people to be saved. Leave them alone. You see it there in your handout. God faithfully and mercifully holds out His hand all day long to Jews and Gentiles all over the world, inviting them to salvation. Now, listen, listen. Now that we've seen that about God, that he's the hero of this passage, that he's the doer of this passage, that he's the main subject of this passage, now, now we're ready to apply it, right? Now we can apply it. And again, we, we tend to interpret the Bible with ourselves in mind first. We come and you say, what does this mean for me? The first question is, what does this teach me about God? And, and, and to, to great hurt. Again, because the real point and hero of this text is God. You see it in your handout. Paul's point is that God has faithfully done his part to make the gospel known. The point here is not primarily for us to, for us to send people out, though that may be an application. The point here is that God has faithfully done that throughout creation already. And Israel and others heard the gospel, but they failed to believe. The issue is about God seeing, being seen as being faithful. And here's the issue. We think that we, what we happens is because of this, we fail to recognize and appropriate our own salvation, even understanding why you and I are saved and left here. Because this text does have important truths to teach us about us. Again, though we are not primary, it applies to us. And the issue for you and me is this. How will, first of all, is this. How will I respond to the gospel, both as an individual, both as an unsaved person and a saved person? That's the question. How will you respond to the gospel? Look, if you're an unsaved person here, respond in faith. 
Because God has faithfully made the message known. If you're a saved person, there's an application here for you too. And you see it on your handout. As unsaved, as unsaved, heed God's invitation to repent. That's the invitation today. Heed the gospel and repent. God has faithfully made the gospel known. He has mercifully crucified his, his son that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Will you receive the offer? But to the saved, you see that? That's next on your handout. To the saved, we have been entrusted with the gospel and are commanded to share it. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Paul says, we are ambassadors as if God were making a plea through you and I. Even in Colossians 1.24, Paul says that I may fill up what is lacking in the death of Christ. You say, Chris, what is lacking? Listen, it isn't the sufficiency of the offer, right? You know what's lacking? A messenger. That's what's lacking. That same word, fill up what is lacking, that same word in Colossians 1.24 is used in Philippians 2 verses, I think it's 30 and 31 with regards to Epaphroditus, that he filled up what was lacking. The, the, the Philippian church had, had collected an offering for Paul. They had collected money. He's in jail. They collected an offering. They're over here. Paul's over here. What was lacking was a delivery, right? And Epaphroditus says, I'll go. And Epaphroditus risks his life, becomes, becomes sick to the point of death. Why? For the good of the gospel. To be a delivery boy of a gift. Paul uses that same word in Colossians 1.24 when he says, I do my part to fill up what is lacking in the offering of Christ. You know what's lacking? is a delivery boy and girl. A preacher. And God has faithfully made sure, even in Paul's life, that there was a preacher. And this is where it attaches to you and I. We cannot sever the idea of being God's preachers and ambassadors from our salvation. The word preacher, it doesn't mean as long as it's on my job. Oh, that's not on my business card. Listen, are you a saved person here today? You're a preacher. You know why God saved you? To be a preacher. That's where it connects to us. And if we're honest, you know what's lacking in most of our churches? Missionary zeal. The courage to stand up and give a defense for the hope that is in us with our neighbors and our co-workers and our classmates and the people who are on sports scenes. Why? You know why? Because we're scared and we want their approval more than we care about God's approval. You say, Chris, that's harsh. That's what 1 Peter says. And until we care more about God's approval than man's approval, we'll keep our mouths shut. And we'll fail to do the very thing that God commanded you to do, saved you to do, and the world will think that God is unfaithful when the reality is His, his saved children are unfaithful. That's the challenge. And forgive me, but this is the problem in our churches. We're scared. We will not stand up and share the gospel with our neighbors. Why? Because we care more about what they think about us than what God thinks about us. And our kids do the same thing because they grow up seeing their parents do the same thing. People do not share the gospel anymore. We say, oh, well, if you preach better, if you did this. No, no, if, there's 300 of us here. 
What 300 missionaries. We don't need to have we don't need to have a special service. I pray one day we do and maybe some does someone does go to India. But listen, tomorrow Sloan, God's going to send you to Steinbrenner High School. And Bradley's going to go to Gaither High School. And you're going to go to uh Ranch. What's the name of it, Isaac? Mitchell Ranch. Forgive me. All throughout this community, our schools, God is going to have missionaries in those schools. And all throughout this community tomorrow, God's going to have missionaries in businesses. And he's going to have missionaries in, in, in neighborhoods. And then tomorrow night, he's going to have missionaries on sports teams and athletic teams and all these self-interest groups and all these things that we, ha- ironically, we have time for, but we don't have time for the word. We got time for that. Listen, when we don't do this, we bring God's faithfulness into question. That's why you got to start with God. God has saved you to, again, show that he's faithful in providing preachers. He has faithfully provided people at every school in this county, Hillsborough County, Pasco County. He has faithfully put people in all businesses. He has faithfully put people in neighborhoods all across the place, all over. The question becomes, will we be faithful? And listen, when we're not faithful, we make God look like he's not faithful. And and we can sit here and forgive me, but we can make everything about ourselves and we can spend all our money on ourselves and we can entertain ourselves to death. We can program ourselves to death. We can be huddled all the time to the exclusion of the world around us and never share the gospel. And we think we're doing okay because we're safe. It ain't about being safe. It's about being faithful. And at some point, you got to share. God has saved us and left us here to share. And you know what? If you, if you say, well, what if the world hates me? Go to Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are you if the world hates you because of me. We've got it backwards. The, the irony is, is the world ought to hate us more. That's the irony. Again, we can we can make this thing all about ourselves so we feel good about ourselves and all the while we never have to do the hard things. That's the battle. We feel good about ourselves. We came to church, we heard the word, we checked the box, we closed the Bible. The moment the last filling is done, we close the Bible, I'm done with that, and we go live our lives for the rest of the week all about ourselves and all to ourselves and we come back and do it again next week. What are we doing? What are we doing? I mean, everything, listen, everything that we do here is to equip us to go out there and do the ministry well. Ephesians 4, 11, he says, to, he made some as pastors. Why? Chris, that's your work. And that's not what the word says. It says, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that you'll be not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. My job is to equip us to do the work of the ministry. So that when, you, when, when Sloan goes to Steinbrenner and you go to Mitchell Ranch and Bradley goes to Gaither and, and, and again, I'm just, forgive me, I'm, I'm, this is not even in my notes, so I'm all, who knows. My point is this. So when you guys go to school tomorrow, you'll be able to stand firm. 
Why is Corey talking about apologetics on Wednesday night so that when those kids go in their classrooms the next day, they can stand firm? What we do here is so that we can go out there and not look foolish. We can realize we have a sure, certain word. We have a sure, certain God behind the word. If you're a believer, listen, if you're a believer today, God saved you in order to prove once again that he's faithful to provide preachers to every single generation. That's why you exist. My salvation, listen, and it's twofold. My salvation is evidence that God is faithful. You know why? Because at some point in my life, somebody approached me with the gospel. His name is R.V. Brown. Ding, ding, ding. God sent a preacher. You know why God saved Chris? So that I would go forth to people and present the gospel. And you know what they would say? They would hopefully repent and believe in Jesus. You know what they would say? Thank you, God, for being faithful to send a preacher. And then that next generation would go out and share with their generation. And you know what they'd say? Thank you, God, for sending a preacher. That's our role. My, my question is this. Who, who are the Adonira Judsons of this generation? Who are the Hudson Taylors of this generation? Who are the Lottie Moons? Who are the Amy Carmichaels? Will they come out of this church? Will they come out of this generation? Listen, you see it on your handout. We owe it to those around us to do whatever it takes to get the gospel to them. Whatever it takes. There's only one way to be saved from the wrath of God due sin. We know the answer. I mean, you think about it. You think everybody's talking about coronavirus, coronavirus. Suppose you, suppose you had the solution to that and you sat on it. What, what would they think about you? Listen, we have the solution to the wrath of God due people's sin. Listen, that is worse than the coronavirus. The wrath of God due your sin is worse than, the, worse than the coronavirus. And I'm not belittling that. We're talking about an eternity separated from God. We've got the solution. The call here is to see ourselves rightly as God's children. Your salvation, my salvation, it is further proof that God is faithful to send people to all generations all over the globe. God saved you to be his ambassador. He saved you to share with others the cure for sin, to point people to God, to be a part of God's redemptive plan. God, listen, our lives are proof that God remains faithful. Amen? We're the unfaithful ones. You see it on hand out, and I saved it to last, because I know you close your books as soon as I do this. So if you're not telling others about the gospel and using everything about your life to glorify and point people to God, listen, then you are being unfaithful both to God and those around you. That's a hard truth, but you, if you are stewarding your life with you at the center, you are being unfaithful. If you found out, listen to me, if you found out that I was using the church funds to make my life easier and to do things in my own personal life, what would that be called? That would be called theft. Listen, to take all of God, all that God has given you, 
and to hijack it for your own purposes, I would tell you you're no, you're no, you're no less a thief. No less a thief. Uh, the irony is the world would see God as being unfaithful, and, and when in reality, it's you and I. God has been faithful to make sure there are preachers. Will we preach?